Good morning. When Alan, Ep- <coughs> excuse me, when Alan Epweaver asked me to speak on this Sunday, <clears throat> one of the things he told me about today is that it's Christ the King Sunday. And as you heard, the scriptures reflect that. Christ the King, Christ is King over all of this, Christ whose kingdom is not of this world, but of the world to come. I don't even know what to do with that. Why can't I be asked to speak on Melanie Gives All Her Opinions Sunday? <laughs> but that is not, unfortunately, a Sunday in the church calendar. So, so here we are to ponder together what it means for us that Christ is king. Surrounded as we are here by just so much day-to-day life, the idea that all of the powers, principalities will be brought under the reign of Christ feels almost unbelievable. My heart says, really? Seriously? When? Because I'm concerned about a lot of things that seem increasingly urgent. Figuring out how to live in the face of these concerns is difficult. It would be really helpful if Jesus could just show up and straighten things out. I worry about the UN report on climate change that was issued a few weeks ago, saying that by 2040 the earth will be reeling from major effects of rising temperatures. My daughter will be 25 years old. I worry about the effect on our country of a president who undermines democracy and stokes fear and hatred in tweet and deed. And I worry about my beloved church community, perhaps choosing to dismiss our well-liked pastor because of a confession about who she chooses to love. You have your own concerns, perhaps yours are the exact opposite of mine. It's interesting to me how quickly after an election I can tell on social media which side won or lost, by which of my friends are posting memes like Jesus is still king, or similar sentiments to make themselves feel better. After Obama was elected, conservative Facebook friends posted a lot of these kind of memes. After Trump's election, similar ideas, perhaps worded differently, were posted by progressives. Is Jesus as king simply a comforting thought we run to when our government seems to be moving in a direction opposed to where we think it should go? Is it something we just hang on to when we feel completely out of control? The answer to those questions is probably yes. But if we do truly believe in the ultimate reign of Christ— then I think it needs to be more than just a last-ditched attempt at comforting ourselves. I don't pretend to have any or all of the answers here, but I do have some thoughts on how we should live if, indeed, the kingdom of God is our ultimate destination. First, I think that love is our primary motivator here. If God is love and love is of God, then living in love is the way forward, our path toward the kingdom. Saying that can feel very vague and very cliché. It also makes me a little bit mad when people say things like, love is the answer, because of course, and also I need more than that. Okay, I will love everyone, but how does love speak to my Holocaust-denying uncle or our government taking children away from their parents at our country's southern border? What does love actually do? As usual, we look to the example and words of Jesus, both in the passage that we heard today and in the Gospels overall. This is not at all an exhaustive list but a couple of ways that love can help us live into Christ's kingdom. First, love speaks truth. Truth feels very undervalued to me these days. Many people who seek power, wealth, also seek to hide, minimize, or otherwise deny what is true in order to elevate themselves or keep their power. I feel confident saying that lying to obtain more power is an anti-Christ, anti-kingdom act. Jesus' words call us to be servants and to be reconcilers, 
to name truthfully what is occurring in the same way Jesus speaks to and about truth to Pilate in our gospel story this morning. The truth about people also brings compassion. Stereotypes are one way we hold each other at bay, tell ourselves that others don't deserve the compassion we give ourselves or our families. When we are exposed to the truth about people or about a group of people, we tend to find wells of compassion for them within us. Truth creates more love, more connection. Alternately, we might learn that those we love and that we thought the best of are instead acting in harmful and trust-breaking ways. The temptation in these cases is to hide the truth, to attempt to protect our families or groups or institutions by obscuring or downplaying what actually took place. But hiding the truth saves no one. Naming the truth of people's actions is what sets us free. If harm has been done and no one can speak to or acknowledge the truth of that harm, then reconciliation is not possible. But often when people are afraid of the truth, they try to deny it, twist the story, or claim that those trying to speak truth are acting deceptively or just indecorously. And that leads me to my next step on our pathway. Love is not afraid. Now, I just spent the beginning of this homily telling you the things that I'm worried about. But in the end, has the gnawing it over in my mind, playing out the consequences, fearing what's to come, has that actually resulted in anything good? Anything helpful? Any kingdom action? Fear can be motivating to some people, but I often find it very paralyzing. Jesus, while he may have dreaded or feared what was to come for him, was not afraid to tell Pilate the reality of his kingdom. I had just started working at Mennonite Mission Network when I heard about an MBS house who made dinner regularly, I think this was an Elkhart, for anyone who happened to drop in. The phrase they used was something like an attitude of abundance or a mindset of abundance, the opposite of a scarcity mindset. They trusted they would not have to hoard their food or fear not having enough, but they served their meals with trust that there would be plenty or at least a sufficient amount. They could serve with open hands. The idea that there will not be enough is something that we often hear and possibly fear. Fear of losing what we have causes us to close our hands tightly, to build walls to protect ourselves from real or perceived fear. But love opens our hands, our hearts, and our minds. We don't have to be afraid. Instead of fearing what's to come in the days or weeks ahead, we live right now where we are. We address the problems we can, We trust that those we can't will wait for another day and for more kingdom workers. Love always hopes. Right after the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, a Jewish saying was being shared among many of my friends on social media. And I think Todd shared it too. You might have seen it or heard it. In English, it translates to, you do not have to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Another saying that a Jewish friend shared, the Jewish saying, all of life is a narrow bridge. The important thing is not to fear. We are not going to bring this kingdom of Christ by the work of our own hands. That is God's doing. But we are called to live as followers of Christ's kingdom, to live in love, compassion, peace, and hope. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion few minutes is coming up really quick. Communion is an act of remembering our hope in the death and the resurrection of Christ and our hope that he will come again. In this space between where we live now, let us commit ourselves to bravely speaking truth, 
showing compassion, and trusting that there will be enough food and space for all of us. Amen.